Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This is Palm Sunday, but as you know, I'm an I'm a overachiever. I preached on Palm Sunday last Sunday. We're going to treat this as uh, Crucifixion Sunday. And uh, perhaps you may have heard of the sermon that uh, the slide is uh, referencing. The sermon that was, uh, it's referencing was preached by Jonathan Edwards. It's called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And John, uh, he, he was a, uh, Jonathan Edwards was a good Calvinist. Um, he had a very uh, wrathful God in mind. Um, he had an angry God in mind. And his sermon was said to have brought a lot of people to faith in Jesus Christ. One of the more colorful parts of the sermon was this uh, picture that your life is dangling over the he- fires of hell by a thread uh, like a spider's web. He did not know at the time that spider's web is very strong, apparently. Uh, but uh, all this colorful language that uh, probably wouldn't preach so well today, um, given our sensibilities and such. So this message is entitled, God in the Hands of Angry Sinners. <laughs> and uh, if you would, let's just jump in and start reading from Matthew 27, verses 45 and on. If you have your Bible, turn there. If not, the words will be on the screen for you. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthia, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge, and he filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud, spirit, in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. This is God's word. It's a powerful passage, Matthew uh, gives us some astounding details in this passage. And if you've watched any of the movies trying to depict this scene, uh, perhaps in your mind's eye, you've got uh, a clouded sky. But notice what the text says. It says nothing about clouds. It says darkness. Darkness covered the land. And you might think, oh, it must have been a solar eclipse. Well, the only problem with that is 
Passover happened at the new moon, at the full moon. And if you know much about your astronomy, uh, to have a full moon, it has to be uh, at the exact opposite place at nighttime from the sun. And this was not a solar eclipse. This is some kind of miraculous darkness that God brings on the earth. And I think this teaches us something about what Jesus experienced and what he accomplished on the cross. And and part of what I want to most focus in on is what Jesus says from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Even when it was first uttered, people didn't understand what he was saying. Even when he first said it, you saw that people thought, oh, maybe he's calling Elijah. And they ran and they got a, 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 a sponge soaked in some wine to try to revive him, to breathe a little bit more life in him. So they might see another miracle happen from Jesus. And from the very first time he uttered those words, people have been confused by these words. Being a pastor, I have been privileged to watch many people die. And if you've ever been in the hospital, if you've ever been in the hospice room, if you've ever been at the the home of someone who's about to pass away, almost it happens with quite a bit of regularity where the person, and I don't care how faithful or how courageous they are, everyone freaks out. Almost every single time, the person who's about to pass, there's a moment where they say, I don't want to die. I'm scared. And there's a freaking out that occurs. Even if they have a rock-solid faith that they're going to heaven, even if they have a rock-solid faith that God loves them and good things wait for them on the other side of death, it's human nature to be afraid. And every single time I'm with someone who's about to pass, I could tell you there is a fear in eyes. There is a freaking out of the heart. And you can't help but be sympathetic about that because you know it waits for you. You know that one day you and I will be that person in the bed. And just so you know, that's not what's happening with Jesus here. He's not freaking out. He's not voicing any kind of doubt or fear or lack of courage. He is voicing something that is profoundly true. And one of the things that you and I need to wrestle with is what's the meaning of this question? What is the meaning of the question, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because if we wrestle with that question, what it means, I think you will see a profound insight into the mission and ministry of Jesus. First, though, we need to see what happened. He says this in a loud voice, a great voice is how some translations bring it across. Many commentators say he's probably even screaming. You know, when the Broncos do something good or bad, we tend to be loud about it. 
And maybe the Broncos aren't your thing, but there's something in your life that just kind of gets you motivated, gets you moved. Maybe your kid's doing something. Maybe somebody backing into your car. Maybe something happens and you raise your voice. And when we read this, we often don't read it the way it must have played out. Here is Jesus at the very end of his ordeal on the cross And he musters the strength because the way you die in crucifixion is by suffocation. The way that Jesus musters any remaining strength in himself to scream out in Aramaic, which is what they spoke in ancient Jerusalem. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And did you see Matthew's detail before we get to the point where he says, My God, why have you forsaken me? Darkness. Darkness for three hours. I have no clue how it worked. Do you remember the plague in Egypt where one of the plagues was darkness? I mean, and it goes on to tell us that it was so dark they couldn't even see their hand in front of their face. It was so dark in Egypt. It was more than just cloud cover in the middle of the day. And I have a feeling that this is that kind of darkness. It's not cloud cover and, oh, it's kind of dark and cloudy today. This is profound darkness. Why? I believe it's because at this moment, and Jesus' words lead me to think this and to believe this, it is at this moment that the Father turns his back on Christ and withdraws his presence from the earth. In theological terms, we would say that separation from God is to be in hell. And it is this moment of Christ on the cross that Jesus Christ experiences hell. He experiences a separation from God the Father that is so different and new and profound. He experiences a suffering that is unparalleled in all of human history. Notice that he doesn't yell out, my hands, my hands. Or my head, my head, my back, my back. He yells out, my God, my God. The spiritual suffering that Christ is experiencing here, when God the Father turns away from the Son, because Jesus Christ has become a curse, because Jesus Christ has had every sin of humanity placed upon him, And God the Father can have nothing to do with sin. And so he turns his back on his son and on us. And there is darkness. You see, that's what happens in hell. Dante, actually, in his Dante's Inferno, he he believed that the lowest part of hell, because God is light, he believed that the lowest part of hell would probably be ice cold, that it would be freezing. Because, And, of course, these are just metaphors. We can't get too crazy about it. Uh, we often think of hell as this fiery place, but the number one way of describing hell by Jesus in the New Testament is utter darkness. And the way that is 
that he describes heaven, the way that it's told to us in the Revelation is that there is a bright light coming from the throne of God. There, you, there is no need for the sun because God is light and in him is no darkness. At this moment, God turns his back on the sun. Now, a quick thing about hell... Because, you know, uh, maybe, maybe he's sick and he's just grumpy talking about hell. Hell's not very popular. Hell's not very fun to preach on. Hell's not something any of us want to spend any time thinking about. But one thing is certain about hell. No one's ever gone to hell that didn't want to go there. No one has gone to hell and thought, I didn't want this. In fact, Milton, in his book, Paradise Lost, Satan is in heaven, and he's shaking his fist in the face of God, and he says, better to rule in hell than serve in heaven. And that is in the heart of every single creature that, uh, that is in rebellion to God the Father. In fact, I've, I've heard people jokingly say, hey man, after we die, we'll just party forever in hell. And that is in their hearts. And God is such a big God, he allows rebels to the end. He allows rebels forever. He will ultimately give folks what they want. They want separation from him, he will give it to them. And this is a picture of that separation, darkness, and Jesus Christ calling out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus Christ is the only willing person to go or excuse me, unwilling person that went to hell. And why would he have to do such a thing? Why would he have to have all this sin set, thrown upon him, cast upon him? And the reason is uh, he came to live the life that you and I could not live. We were supposed to, but we didn't. And because we have failed in that, The scriptures tell us that the wages of sin is death. The payday on your sin is death. And Jesus Christ came and instead of you taking the payday, instead of you receiving the wages of that, Christ received the wages in your place if you place your faith in him. And on the cross, he accomplishes this when all of our sin, both past, present, and future, is placed on Christ at the cross. And he is separated from God. Now, I want you to see in this passage that Jesus is so amazing, and he's so courageous, and he's so awesome. Because... When he faces this, he does not give up. You and I have breaking points. 
We have places where our fragile minds break, where our fragile bodies break, where our relationships break. We have places where things break in us. And it's so difficult to to get ourselves back together. And we're going to see here, we're going to see a man who is on a cross. He's in the final moments of his life, and he has not even yet reached his breaking point. Did you see what it said? After this, after he cried out, cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. He died when he, was, when he chose to die. He gave up his spirit at the moment he decided to give up his spirit. This is something you and I are incapable of doing. And Jesus Christ on the cross is in utter control. But then this question haunts us. In fact, you read the commentaries and they don't know what to do with the question. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I think one way to help us, and by the way, all the commentators know this, but one way to help us to wrestle through what is going on on the cross is to know where this comes from. What Jesus is doing there is he is quoting Scripture. He is quoting Psalm 22, verse 1. In fact, the words may be on the screen. (laughs) My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he stops there. But let me suggest to you that Jesus Christ on the cross is meditating upon this psalm. That he is far from God the Father, but he is not far from God's words. That God's words are there for him to draw strength from. In so much strength that he was able to face death and hell with the word of God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? If we go on in this psalm, we, this is probably a psalm written by David, and we go on and it says, My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. Now, as we hit the rest of this psalm, I want you to conjure in your mind, if you've seen The Passion of the Christ, or if you've seen the Jesus story, or if you've seen any movie that depicts the crucifixion, keep that in your mind and look at these words that come next. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. The next one. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart was turned to wax. It has melted within me. You lay me in the dust of death. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments. Now, before we get to that one, I think this psalm is running through Jesus' mind. 
And every scholar agrees that Psalm 22 is describing an execution. And it was written by King David, who, by the way, was never executed. Why would King David write a psalm like this? describing an execution. And I think what's going on is the Holy Spirit inspired David thousands of years before Jesus came to earth and in that inspiration and said, this is good Bible, print it, because my son, Jesus on the cross, is going to live this out. And as I withdraw my spirit from him, he's going to need these words. Because this psalm ends on a good note. Look at how it ends. 22-24. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. For God has not despised or scorned the suffering of the... Yeah. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will bow down before him. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. And then it goes on and says this. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to people yet unborn, he has done it. Or as one translator, one commentator, Derek Kinder, says you can translate that word, it is finished. You remember what Jesus said on the cross? The seventh statement from Jesus on the cross recorded to us for us in John 19. Verse 30, he cries out. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. And I think Jesus Christ on the cross is meditating on this scripture so he can face death, so he can face hell. He allowed the scriptures to trump his experience. You ever get those kinds of experiences? They're so difficult, so challenging, so harrowing, so scary, so terrorizing that you're not quite sure how you're going to pull through, how you're going to make it, how you're going to go on the next day. Jesus is an example for us. Many many of you might think, well, the reason he was able to do this is because he's divine. But if you know, and this is just a quick theological uh, explanation of these things, if if you know your New Testament at all, you know from Acts chapter 10, Peter said that Jesus, all he did was depending upon the Holy Spirit, that he was fully man. And as he lived here, he was able to fully depend upon the Holy Spirit. And what that means is that he lived this life that you and I should have lived and all he had available to him was the resources that you and I have available to us. Remember Philippians chapter 2, it says, he set aside, he he, he did not consider it um, something to be grasped to be equal with God. He was fully God, he was fully man, but he set aside those traits of being God. While he lived here. How do I know this? Because there's incidents where he doesn't know things. And God, one of his core traits is omniscience. He knows everything. And there's times when Jesus doesn't seem to know things. There's a woman that touched the hem of his garment. He says, hey, you touched me. I felt something leave me. 
Is he doing it just to play act? Because it's interesting to us? Or does he truly not know? What does the text say? The text says he didn't know. The reason he didn't know is because he had laid aside those aspects of himself. One of, the core, one of the core traits of being God is that he's omnipresent. And clearly, Jesus had to lay that one aside to inhabit a body, to be present in that body in particular time and space. And Jesus set aside these traits of divinity. He did not call him to, to his use. And I don't know exactly how he did that, but Peter says that he lived this life depending on the Holy Spirit. And it's almost like a pep talk for us. And if Jesus could do it, if he could do it and face death, if he could do it and face hell, if he could do these things, how much more could we The trouble is, we don't let the scriptures trump our circumstances. Most of the time, we don't even know the scripture well enough to know how it trumps our circumstances. We're so full of unbelief and selfishness and self-centeredness and focused on us that we fail to understand the resources that God has given us They're the same resources he gave to Jesus on the cross. And here's one thing that all of us need to hear. When the scriptures disagree with us, that's when they're the most helpful to us. You see, everything in Jesus' experiences was crying out, God's forsaken me. My goodness, there's not a cloud in the sky and it's dark. And God is light, and there is no darkness in him. He has left the building. I am forsaken. I am experiencing in my soul a loss of fellowship with God that he had never known before. Everything in his experience was screaming out, I am forsaken. But he kept meditating on that psalm. He kept going forward in what that psalm said, and he understood that his being forsaken for us would bring about our redemption. He understood that if he did this, if he pressed forward, then there would come a day that those who had, been, who had not yet been born would hear about him and his work. For all eternity, people would call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. Just one quick thing. If you don't have a Bible that will trump you, if you don't have a God that will trump you, if you don't have a God that will deal with stuff inside of you, then you have a God of your own making. You have a God that you have fashioned after yourself, after your own desires, after whatever it is you think is most important. You have an idol. And those parts of Scripture that you don't like, don't agree with, disobey regularly, that's where it can help you and I the most. That's where we can face hell. 
That's where we can face the difficulties in our life with the resources that Jesus Christ had. And how pathetic are we that we very rarely grab hold of these things? My attitude, my experience can be derailed just by my wife or kids having a grumpy attitude. My whole existence can be just called into question by somebody at church being upset with me. My whole concern, my whole self-centeredness, my focus can be so derailed because somebody disagrees with something that I did or said or thought or hoped. And that is so pathetic, but it's true. How am I going to believe this thing when I can't even believe that what it says, that God so loved the world that he gave his only one and only his unique son to die on the cross for me? And because of that act, I have infinite worth. You have infinite worth. And so much of the time we hear from people and culture and it's just saying, ah, you're not good unless you drive this. You're no good unless you watch this. You're no good unless you have this. And we buy into that hook, line, and sinker and we're not able to face such small things compared to what Christ faced for us. Get to know this. Get your nose in it. Figure this thing out. Yes, it's hard. Some of you have really hard jobs. Things that I couldn't even dream of doing. And many I hear say, man, I thank you so much that you just help us understand this at a, at a level that I can't get in my head to understand it at. And, and I've got to be really honest. There is no magic with what I do. I'm appalled when I hear pastors who don't do what I do because what I do is so easy. I read the Bible. I study some dead guys and some living guys and what they said about the passage, and then I show up and I ask the Holy Spirit to speak through me. That's what I do. And all of those resources are available to you. You can do what I do. You can read this and ask yourself questions that I ask. This thing can come alive to you. And most importantly, those times when you face difficulties in your life and you turn to the book of Psalms, because that's where I turn. When you turn to the book of Psalms, like Jesus turned to the book of Psalms, and you start to read the Psalms, and you can start anywhere in the book of Psalms, and you'll eventually find a prayer that the Holy Spirit gave to David or some other writer and said, print it, that's good Bible, because in 2015, there's going to be a clueless young pastor, I'm still pretty young, in Ray, Colorado, who's going to need to read this because he's stupid, And he's going to need some encouragement. And he's going to need to keep going on. He's going to get frustrated and down and discouraged. He's going to feel like I'm far from him. He's going to believe some things that are not true. And he needs to read this. And there's no magic in it. It's just reading. It's receiving it. 
It's allowing the scriptures to trump your experience, your circumstance, those things that you can't control, those things that are so difficult in your life. Think of it this way. Jesus himself needed the scriptures to face what life threw at him. And he knew it was coming. He knew it because that's why he was born. That's why he came. He knew it all along. That's what was on the screen for him. He even walked around telling people, hey, I'm going to die. The way it's going to happen is I'm going to be turned over to the Gentiles. And by the way, people who are turned over to the Gentiles die by crucifixion. He knew that too. He said, whoever does not pick up their cross and follow after me. He had all the details figured out. Why? Because he had Psalm 22. He knew what it was going to look like. And yet he faced it. And that brings us full circle to the question, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What is the answer? Why? For me. For you. Every time you read that passage in Scripture, from now on, I want you to answer in your heart for me. Jesus was forsaken for you and for me. Jesus gave his life willingly for you and for me. And he used scriptures to stare down hell. As your pastor, and I'm, I ball at Hallmark commercials, so this really isn't a big deal. That's why we don't have Hallmark Channel. <laughs> I feel passionate that many of the things we walk through, we walk through poorly. Because we don't understand the resources available to us. One last thing. Paul said, don't you know that the very spirit that raised, this is a preview of next Sunday, don't you know that the very spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you? What are you going through that you need to hear that What hell on earth are you experiencing that you need the power of God? Do you feel forsaken? You are not forsaken. Christ was forsaken in your place. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, that was a bit unexpected, and thanks for getting us through that. And Lord, thank you for the power of your word to speak into our lives so many amazing truths. Forgive us when we just, as the Proverbs say, go about the way that seems right to us, but in the end it leads to death. Help us to be people, Father, who put our faith and trust in you and in your words. 
And even if we don't feel you, even if you're far away, even if every single circumstance in our life is screaming at us that we are messed up and confused and everything is hurting and things are difficult, may we be people who let the scriptures trump our experience. Just like our brother Jesus did. And may we be bummed out this week, preparing our hearts for Easter. May we contemplate the death of Christ on the cross. May we not skip the cross and run to the tomb. Let us see with new eyes just the utter horror and penalty and wage of our sin. And may that strengthen us in our resolve to follow Christ. Holy Spirit, make it so. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For you and for me. Amen.